Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to the movie theater. Good to have you at Joy Church today. Are you having a good summer as it transitions into fall? How many of you are like me and you're a fall person? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're in the right spot here, right? You're like, it's raining. Good. I'm back to normal. And then also, as you know, the glory of God descended upon our fair city yesterday when Oregon Ducks football kicked off. Yes. I have heard that there are some people in need of demonic deliverance here who are Beaver fans. Uh, is that you, Jared? No, you're a Ohio State Buckeye. I, can even, I can't even hardly say it. It sounds like a cuss word coming out of my mouth. Just kidding. Well, uh, it, was, it was so great. I, I had, went to a wedding yesterday. Some, some great friends of ours down in Medford uh, were getting married. And so we went down to celebrate their special day with them. And the wedding started at 4.30. So I'm like on my iPad at 2 watching the game. And then my wife's like, why aren't you listening to it on the radio? I'm like, I forgot about this thing called the radio. So we turned it on, and I'm trying to get as much Oregon Ducks football in as I could before the wedding. And then the whole time at the wedding, I'm like, don't grab your phone. Don't grab your phone. And I could just feel it in my pocket calling to me, Jake, check the score. You know, and I just wanted to grab it. But uh, I was pretty confident we could overcome that mighty powerhouse, UC Davis. Anyways, uh, enough of that. Uh, we're, we're excited to be here today, uh, just sharing uh, together, communing together, having fellowship together and uh, coming to hear the word of the Lord. And uh, we're kicking off a brand new series today. I think it's up on the, on the screen there called No Longer Slaves. And this is an exciting series. I'm really passionate about the topic. I'm really passionate about this, uh, this series. We've, this has actually been something that my wife Bethany and I... How many of you guys... In, we're happy to meet Bethany today. Yeah. Yes. You're like, I know how it is. When you see her and then you see me, you're like, how? How? How is this possible that he got her? I know. I wake up every day and I think the exact same thing. Uh, she's incredible. She's amazing. But um, uh, this is a series that we had felt uh, met, you know, months and months and months ago that we were going to have for the church, this series called No Longer Slaves, going through the book of Galatians. And, then, and so now we get to do it and it's really exciting. But what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to go through the book of Galatians, which is an epistle. And I'm, I'm not saying a bad word. An epistle is a letter. And it's a letter that was written by this guy named Paul. Paul was an apostle. He was a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. He was a guy that, that came later, and Jesus himself appeared to, to Paul. Uh, and his name was Saul at the time, if that's not confusing enough. And, 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 he, and he called him to go and spread the gospel uh, all around the world. And so Paul goes on to write like half the New Testament, uh, which is the the backside of your Bible there. If you, if you have an analog Bible, you brought it to church, that's cool. I always roll with the digital version, uh, but I do have my analog Bible at home that I use, and I call it analog and digital. It's kind of like, you know, if you're going back to vinyl or tape cassette or something, you know. And uh, Paul was, was this guy that ended up writing about half the New Testament. He, he went on to plant uh, really, I don't know how many churches, but I would say probably in the hundreds, and then out of his ministry came many, many churches and affected the whole world. Uh, and so Paul's this amazing guy, but he wrote this epistle to not just a church, but a region uh, in most likely northeastern Turkey. So I don't know if that means anything to you, but that's probably where it was written to, this province of Galatia. And Paul wrote a letter, and it's this book, Galatians, that we have in the Bible. It's a letter to these churches that Paul had planted. Now, the, the context of why Paul wrote this letter is very interesting. Paul has gone through on a missionary journey. He's raised up these churches. He's established and appointed leaders, and they are carrying on the gospel in their community. But then a group of people come in years later known as Judaizers. And what these people were doing is they were coming along saying, 
yeah, you heard the basics about Christianity. You heard the basics about this message of Jesus and what we call the gospel, which is just a, a, a fancier way of saying good news. That's what that word means. You've heard the good news of Jesus, but you know, that's not actually enough. And you're like, oh, really? What do we need to know? And the Judaizers said, well, what you need to do to really be saved is you actually have to become Jewish. So for the guys, it involves this, this small surgery called circumcision. And I'm not going to go into details on that. This is a PG-rated sermon here in the movie theater. But, uh, but they said, you have to have this small surgery. You have to be circumcised, and you have to adhere to the law of Moses. So they said, it's not just enough to believe like Paul told you in the message of Jesus and, and believe and put your faith in Christ and be saved by grace. You have to actually adhere to the law. So these people, the Judaizers, they came through. And apparently, uh, Paul has to write this letter uh, this epistle to this region of churches because this message was really appealing to these people. They were hearing it and going, well, we want to honor our faith in Christ. And so if there's more to the story that we didn't get, if Paul only gave us like 101, then we want to graduate on to 201, 301. So there's sincerity in their practice of faith. And so they are attracted, even though you think, why would you want to believe that? But they, they thought they were tricked and believed that there was more to the story that wasn't given to them. And so that's the historical context of the book of Galatians. And so Paul writes a very passionate, vehement letter, basically saying, guys, do not be deceived. Don't be tricked by this new gospel. And we're going to go into this book. So here's some homework. I want to assign you homework. And I know like 10 people just immediately run out when they hear the word homework. But I want to encourage you this week to read through the book of Galatians. We're going to be studying through it all month. So if you're like, I can read one chapter and then add another chapter, that's great. Whatever you can do. But I want to encourage you to get through the entire book of Galatians for yourself. Read through it. And I think that will really give clarity and foundation to what we're doing on Sunday morning. So are you excited? Are you with me? Yeah. Jumping in. Okay. So Paul, he reacts very forcefully to this, what he calls a false gospel uh, or a variant message, and we'll read this. But the reason that this is relevant to us today, because, you know, I, I, to me the question is, well, 2,000 years ago when this was occurring, these historical events, I suppose the gospel is under attack, but why, why is that relevant to us today? Well, I, I, it's relevant to us today because there's still and always an attack that comes against the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is this message that is so incredibly simple that there's a temptation always, even by very sincere people, to, to want to add a little bit of good morals to the gospel. Uh, you, have to be, you have to be a good person in order be, to be saved. Or, or it goes this way, oh, if you're saved, you don't really have to worry about being good or bad. And it gets pulled to the left, to the right. The gospel is always under attack. And it's important for us as believers personally, but also in our witness in our city and our ability to communicate the gospel, it's, it's very important for us to have a clear perspective and a right perspective of what the true gospel message is. Because we are called to true freedom. And that's why this, this sermon series is called No Longer Slaves. We are no longer slaves to the law. We are no longer slaves to legalism, but we are also no longer slaves to licentiousness or license or just practicing whatever we want to do and having no transformation in our life. We are no longer slaves. We're called to true and lasting freedom according to the true and authentic and real gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know if you're here today and you're like, I don't really even know Jesus. I just thought I was coming to an early show called Joy Main Service. 
and it was cheap. The tickets were cheap. It was free, so I just came in. That's awesome. We're so glad that you're here. And, uh, you know, we, we are here for you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we are here in this spot for you. And I believe that, that God himself actually directed you to this place. And I want to encourage you to listen in today and, uh, and ask questions after it's over if you need to. But we want you to hear the true message of Jesus. But you're very welcome, and we're so glad that you're here. And periodically, I give away free popcorn. Right? Last week, did some popcorn. So come back next week. And, and uh, next week, our, our friend Kyle is actually going to be preaching. Woo, woo. Yeah. And uh, I'll be in Mexico. Somebody said, are you going on a missions trip? I said, yeah, a mission to relax. Um, uh, and so he's going to be here next week. So we'll give him some money for popcorn to hook you up. Yeah. He's like, I have 200 things of popcorn. <laughs> That's one way to really let people really receive your message is to give them free stuff. But a couple of theme verses out of Galatians, uh, one of them is Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father, which is like a term in Greek that means daddy. It's an intimate term for a father. And now you are no longer a slave, Paul says, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We're going to talk about what it means to be a child of God. We sang that today. How many of you like that song? I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm I'm a child of God. That's my identity. We talked about that last week. My identity and my destiny. Who am I and why am I here? In Christ, you're no longer a slave. You're an heir. You are brought into the family of God as an inheritor. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free, Paul tells the Galatians, and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. One of the things you got to watch out for is Jesus plus something else. There's a book I read a couple years ago that was called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And it's kind of a confusing title, but I think the author was trying to be clever. And and what, what he's saying is you don't need anything other than Jesus, right? The gospel is enough. Christ is sufficient. What, what Jesus has done for us at the cross is enough. And we don't need to add anything to that. In fact, we make it worse when we add something to it. Even adding, trying to be a good person to what Jesus has done does not work out. And we're going to explore these themes. But the gospel, which is the message of Jesus, it's the good news. Uh, the gospel is the good news of what God has done through Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We just got done doing a series called I Can't Get No Satisfaction and we learned that true satisfaction is only found in Jesus. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. When you drink uh, of Christ and you uh, receive Jesus, you'll never thirst again. He fulfills and satisfies the deep places of your soul. The good news or the gospel is this message, but it's a, it's a truth in tension, okay? Uh, and the tension here can be imagined in this way, that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves. And in much the same way, the gospel is always always brought between two imposters. There was a a guy named Tertullian, which is an awesome name. And if anybody needed a hipster name to name your kid uh, this year, Tertullian would work. It, It would really appeal to the theological crowd. And yeah, it's pretty cool. But Tertullian remarked, Thousands of years ago, he said, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between these two errors. And the two errors that he was referring to are legalism 
and license. And legalism says that we have to live a holy and good life in order to be saved. How many of you have kind of heard something like this? Well, get cleaned up and get your life right, and then you can come into church, and, and, and Jesus will accept you. So if you, if you kind of become good, then you go to church, then you get Jesus, and if you're a good person, then Jesus will love you and accept you, and you'll go to heaven. How many of you have heard something like this? Uh, I heard a friend of ours was saying that a family member of theirs says, I can't go to church or I'll get struck by lightning, right? Um, so this would be that view. Like, I have to be right with God before I go to church, before I get what God has to, to do for me. Now, this is nonsensical. If you think about it deep enough, you'll realize that you have no power to become good without Jesus. So how would you become good, really? Does that make sense? But this is a real thing. And even Christians kind of... Per- promote this. Well, you know, we need to, the, you know, it's like if a Christian goes and starts criticizing people in the culture for cussing in public, like, you shouldn't be doing that. Why? They're not a Christian. I don't, like, run out to fish and be like, get out of that water, you know, what are you doing in there? Or a dog who's, like, trying to sniff his rear end, That's a, he's a dog, that's what they do, you know what I'm saying? And so, as Christians, like, we get, we're really, we're believing in this legalism gospel that you have to, you know, be a certain way or act a certain way, and then Jesus accepts you. That's one of the sides of this tension. And then there's the other one, license, which says this. Because we are saved, we don't have to live a holy and good life. So legalism says, get good and then you'll get right with God. And license says, I'm right with God, so then I don't have to worry about being good. And they're both wrong. They're just wrong in different ways. Okay, They're both wrong. But the the real gospel is in between these. These messages, they steal away the power of the true gospel of Jesus. You could put it this way. You could say it's the message of religion, which adds to the gospel. It's not enough. You know, the, what Jesus did for you is not enough, so you have to do more. You have to add to it. You have to, to be a better person. Or the message of irreligion, which subtracts from the gospel. But in the middle of this tension, uh, where Jesus is between these two thieves, is the true gospel. And the, and the gospel is an incredibly powerful message. You know, I consider myself to be incredibly fortunate to have the the calling to come and get to repeat the greatest message that's ever come into, into human history every week. Uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is a tremendous honor, and God has given you that honor as well in whatever sphere of life you are in. The gospel is not just good advice, it's good news. It's not just life hacks. You can get that from Oprah or Dr. Phil. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel doesn't give you three steps to have a better marriage and three steps to have better kids and three steps to lose 10 pounds in 2016. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is this message about that God saves sinners, that we were separated from God, but through Jesus and putting your faith in Him and experiencing His grace that you can be transformed from the inside out. The gospel of Jesus is a powerful message. It's It's good news. And the gospel is that God loved the world and gave Jesus to us that we could have everlasting life. It's what the gospel is that what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. And I want you to listen to this phrase here and then we're going to jump into the scriptures in Galatians and and read together. By trusting in the true gospel, you are made right with God positionally. Say the word positionally. Positionally. And that's what we call justification. You are made right with God positionally, legally. When, when you receive Jesus and God looks at you, He doesn't see your sins. He sees that it's been satisfied and paid for, right? It's kind of like if you uh, dine and dash, which you shouldn't do, but if you did, and then I come in behind you and I pay your bill. So like Todd, I always have to do this for him. He just runs in, he eats and he leaves. He runs out. He's like a panda bear, eats, shoots, and leaves, you know? Anyways, 
But, uh, yeah, thank you, yeah, thanks. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I got turned down as a late-night comedy host and had to become a pastor, so. But, uh, you know, if Todd dines and, and dashes and I go in and I pay his bill, they can't hold him accountable to pay that bill. That bill has been paid, right? This is justification. So when I receive Jesus, I have been, my sins have been paid for and the justice of God has been satisfied in Christ. So receiving Jesus... We're made right with God positionally. Okay, that's the first one. And then he begins to make you right experientially. Okay? So when you receive Jesus, you're made right in the sight of God, right there, instantaneously justified. The bill is paid. God sees Christ when he looks at you. But then the work of transformation, what we call sanctification, comes into play. Now, these are important things to understand because... If a lot of what happens in, in, the, in mixing up the gospel message, and even what happens in the book of Galatians, what was going on here, is that there was this exchange of, of moving these things around. They were putting sanctification before justification and, and connecting them in odd ways. And Paul said, no, no, no. They go in order, and they're very important to understand the distinctiveness of each of these things. So when you accept Jesus, the first thing that happens is that you are made right positionally, which is justification. The second thing that happens is that you begin to be made right experientially, which means your life begins to reflect what Jesus has done for you. Past tense. Does that make sense? If I try to, to experientially change before receiving justification, I will fail every single time. And if I try to prove that I've been made right past tense by doing good things, I'm not really changing. That's still putting the cart before the horse Sanctification happens only as a direct result of the Spirit of God working in my life, changing me from the inside out. And this is what we're going to talk about in the book of Galatians, what we're going to talk about in this series. That because of Jesus, we're no longer slaves to the law. We're no longer slaves to an external standard of, of, uh, uh, the, of sin or, or the law, and we're no longer slaves to the internal power of sin and death. We're not slaves to the condemnation of the law that we are free. Christ has set us free, truly free, by placing our faith in Him. And this is what Paul reminds us of in the book of Galatians. So, if you're ready, we're going to read almost two chapters of the Bible. Are you with me? You're like, oh no! Okay, good. I got a clapper here. Yay! All right. I'm going to read out of the message paraphrase, and I know that makes me a hipster, but hey, I like how it, it reads here. Um, I know that it's not, it's a paraphrase, just anybody that's like real gung-ho, trust me, I don't always read the message, but this is, I feel like for the narrative of what we want to see here, this is perfect. All right, so we're going to jump in. So we'll have it up on the screen for you. Can you see it? Is it big enough for you? Is anybody having a hard time seeing? Okay, we do have an eye doctor that goes to church here, so we can give you a 50% discount. So. Yeah. Um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. I, Paul, and my companions in faith here send greetings to the Galatian churches. My authority for writing to you does not come from any popular vote of the people, nor does it come through the appointment of some human higher-up. It comes directly from Jesus the Messiah and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. That's a drop-the-mic moment right there. Like, listen up, because Jesus Himself gave me something to tell you, right? Paul says, I'm God-commissioned. He says, so I greet you with the great words, grace and peace. We know the meaning of those words because Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself as a sacrifice 
for our sins. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. Glory to God forever. Oh, yes. He says, I can't believe your fickleness. He jumps right in. It's like a mom moment, right? How many of you had a mom that, that nagged? Yeah? Like, moms, you go. You nag, mom. You, you get those kids. We need it, right? I needed it. My, my, we'd always have a choice. Do you want a daddy spanking or a, mom, uh, a mommy talk? We want a dad spanking. Spank us. As many spankings as you can lay on me to not have to listen to mom for three hours. Okay. And Paul, he jumps right in here. And he says, I can't believe your fickleness. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It is not a minor variation, you know. It is completely other, an alien message, a no message. It's a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even an angel from heaven were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. I said it once, I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. Now this is an intense term in Scripture. What Paul is saying is this person needs to be cut off completely from, the, from life, from God. I mean, just cursed, like cast away, exile. I mean, this, this term is very strong. And Paul's not acting very much like Jesus in this portion of Scripture here. He's, he's angry. Now, you have to understand, why is Paul so angry? He reacts violently upon this attack. He, he reacts violently to this attack upon the gospel. And I'll tell you why. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you discover that one of your children have incurred this great unpayable debt. And they are just completely swamped. It's, it's, a, it's a huge quagmire. Uh, they're going to be put into debtor's prison or they're gonna, something's going to happen to them, but it's, it's a horrible consequence. And so you step in as a loving parent and you satisfy this debt completely at great personal expense. You give everything you have. You empty the bank accounts. You empty the, the, uh, the, the uh, savings accounts. You, you sell the mutual funds and pay the IRS their exorbitant fee to do it. You empty it all out. You sell the boat. You sell the house. You lay it all on the line and you, you rescue your child from slavery and you pay off their debt. And then you go about your, your business and, and you're excited because they're free. They're really, truly free. That, that thing that was hanging over their head is no longer there. They're no longer a slave. And then all of a sudden you, you hear word that little Johnny or Little Susie is back with the same crowd and they've been told that there's more that they have to do, that their debt is not paid, that it's not satisfied. And there they are living as a slave. And you hear this and you say, did I not empty the bank account? Did I not pay everything I had? Did I not give my very best to pay the debt that they'd incurred? Who is lying to them and saying that they owe more? or that there's something else that they have to do. You would be angry. And that is exactly what it, why Paul is angry here. Because God himself emptied out heaven and gave his only son Jesus to pay the debt of sin. And these people have come in and now said, oh, what Jesus did wasn't enough. Now imagine the anger that you would feel as a father or a mother 
when somebody tried to lie to and enslave your child for something that had been paid in full. Now, this is on a global level why Paul is angry. He's reflecting the anger of God when somebody messes with the sufficiency of the gospel. Let me just tell you right now that Jesus paid in full the debt of sin. That's why the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He comes in and says, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. You have to do something more. You have to earn it before God accepts you. And God says, no, I paid that in full. That's why there's so much anger here. Paul says, do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds? Or curry favor with God? Maybe to get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. Know this, I am most emphatic here, friends. This great message I delivered to you is not mere human optimism. It's not just good advice. It's not just good feelings, good vibes. I didn't receive it through the traditions, and I wasn't taught in some schools. I got it straight from God. I received the message directly from Jesus Christ. So Paul states his agenda. I'm just defending the authenticity of the gospel because this message comes straight from God. The message that comes straight from God, that's the one that we need to key in on, right? Paul says, I'm defending something that is vitally important, the message of salvation through Jesus. And he goes on in verse 13, I'm sure that you've heard the story of my earlier life when I lived in the Jewish way. In those days, I went out all out in persecuting God's church. I was systematically destroying it. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in my career. Even then, God had designs on me. Why, when I was still in my mother's womb, he chose and called me out of sheer generosity, and now he has intervened and revealed his son to me so that I might joyfully tell non-Jews about him. And we're going to skip some, some verses here, but I want you to go, go ahead and read. Uh, Paul just basically goes on to explain his upbringing and why he was so qualified, but why that didn't really matter, but God had called him. And we're going to skip up here uh, to, to chapter 2, verse 11, and we'll skip up on the screen. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Later when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him. Now this guy Peter that they're talking about here is one of Jesus' disciples. And not only was he one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he was an intimate friend of Jesus. There was himself and, and James and John, and they were kind of Jesus' crew. They were his inner circle. And so Peter was a, was a Jesus guy. He was legit. I don't know how to say it other than that. He was the real deal, right? The real McCoy. And Peter comes to Antioch, where Paul's at, and he says, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. You can see that Paul's a serious guy, right? Here's the situation, Paul says. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady straight course, according to the message, that's the gospel message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. So Paul, he just takes off his gloves and he says, this is it. We're going to throw down right now. He says, if you, a Jew, speaking to Peter, live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem cronies? Chirp, 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 chirp. Right? 
And Peter was a pretty wrathful guy. He was the guy that at one time was like grabbed a sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear when they were coming to get Jesus. So I'm sure Peter was like, do I got any weapons on me here? He's like Dwight from the office pulling crossbows out of the ceiling and stuff. <laughs> and Paul just, he just lays it out. He just throws down the gauntlet. Peter, you are a hypocrite. This word hypocrite is really important to understand what it was. It means to wear a mask. It, it, it was used of actors in Greek culture and Greek society that the people that came out to perform and act in plays, they wore masks and they were called hypocrites. And it meant to wear two faces, to, to present yourself as something that you are not in order to play a part or a role. And so Paul says, Peter, you're not a, you're not a Jew anymore, bud. Like, you left that behind long ago. You're not keeping the law. You're just trying to look good. You're wearing a mask for these people, trying to impress them. But you know what? I'm not going to let that stand. I'm not going to let that slide because what's at stake here is the purity and authenticity of the message that you and I would die for. So he calls his brother back into line. He calls him back in. And he says, We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know, Paul says? We tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Paul says, you want religion? I can show you religion. We had over 600 commandments in the Jewish system of law. They had commandments that went in front of their commandments. You know what I'm saying? That's like, I'm not going to watch R-rated movies, so to not even get close to that, I won't even watch PG-13 movies. You know what I mean? There's a standard in front of my standard. That's, that's how they had built it. Paul says, we, you want rules? We got rules for days. We had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. How many of you have found the emptiness of trying to be good to get to God? It, you get into what's called the red button effect. Don't push the red button. Don't push the red button. Don't push the red button. What do you want to do? Push the red button. What are you going to do? Push the red button. It, it, by trying to just be good, it doesn't work. And that's what Peter's saying, what Paul's saying here. He says, have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin. He begins to address the other tension, the other uh, pull here of the gospel that accusation is frivolous, he says. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. In other words, I'd be a hypocrite too, hypocrite too, Peter. And then he keeps going on, and we're going to wrap up here real quick. He says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. He says, so I quit being a lawman. That just reminds me of Wyatt Earp. I'm a lawman. I wish I was a cowboy. It's a sweet handlebar mustache, spurs, you know what I mean? If you wear spurs, who's going to mess with you, right? And Paul says, so I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. He says, Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. The gospel shows you the way and gives you grace to accomplish it. Grace is the empowering uh, presence of God to allow you to, to live a different way, to live out a different uh, mentality to walk free from the power of sin. Jesus, uh, the grace that we experience in Christ doesn't just give us an intellectual uh, 
pathway. It gives us an experiential pathway to walk on. And he says, I identified myself complete with, completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. When you've tasted life in Jesus, you don't want to go back. How many of you have ever had like a certain kind of food and you had it and you thought, this is really good. And, you, and then all of a sudden you went and you had like somebody's mom made it for you and you realized like, oh, I didn't even know what I was missing, right? <laughs> like it, I, went, I remember when Bethany and I first got married, we went to Safeway or somewhere and I was really excited to go grocery shopping, and so I bought this sushi, right? And it was the nastiest, like, <laughs> clump of cold, mushy rice and some kind of imitation something. And, you know, I'd had, I think I'd had sushi a few times before, but I hadn't really experienced it. And then, so I get that, and I'm kind of like, my stomach hurts, you know? It just was not, I was like, it's okay, it's actually pretty good with a million pounds of ginger and soy sauce on it. And then we go out to, like, a, a nice sushi place, and, and, and I have it. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm a free man. Like, I'm, I'm transformed from the inside out. I will never be the same. That's what Paul is saying. When you, when you taste life in Christ, it's like, Mwah. forget about it. You know what I'm saying? Everything's different. Everything's changed. Maybe you've experienced religion, and you went to church when you were a kid, and you were like, you sang the songs, and somebody smacked you and told you to take your hat off, and you, know, you, you went through all, and you tried to keep the rules, but it was always more fun to skip, and then eventually, you just once you got out of your parents' house, like, ah, forget all that. You don't understand. You, you, you had Safeway sushi. It's not the real thing. Maybe you went out in the world, and you just lived it up, and you know, did whatever you wanted to do, and, and, and you thought life was there. But no, let me just tell you, when you experience life in Christ through the gospel, you go, Mwah, forget about it. Paul says, I'm not going to go back on that. It is, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, he says, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Three lessons today as we close from these passages of Scripture. Number one, we need to always go back to the gospel. We, We need to keep on going back to the gospel. Every single day, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to look ourselves in the eye, in the mirror here, you know, unless you can take your eye out, you got a glass one or something, you can do that. But look in the mirror and, and, and tell yourself, self, you're not saved because you do the right thing. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Look at yourself and say, you're no longer a slave to fear. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to the law. You are free in Jesus. Because the, and preach the gospel to yourself until you begin to believe it, accept it. We want to have a gospel-saturated life. Preach the gospel to yourself and keep going back to it. Let me read you a quote from Tolian Chivajan. He said, When it comes to Christian life and experience, many of us have understood the gospel as the thing that gets us in. So maybe today you're hearing it and you're going, Man, I want the gospel. Yeah, I believe. I believe. Sign me up. Sign me up. Give me in a joy group. Cool, we can get you in it. It's the thing that gets us in. While the thing that then keeps us in, he says, 
We assume this is our own effort and performance. In other words, the gospel got me in with God, but now I have to be good to stay in. Now I can't step out of line. Now I can't, oh, 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 don't look over there. Nope, don't, don't go to that, that place. We think that now that I'm in, I have to act a certain way to stay in. He says, look, we recognize that the gospel ignites the Christian life, but we often fail to see that it's also the fuel to keep us going and growing as Christians. Salvation is not this thing that happens and then you just do your best to hang on. Salvation is like the first stage of a rocket that wants to take you into the outer atmosphere and into space. When you receive Jesus Christ, there's an explosion of grace inside of your life. You are positionally made right with God, but then you have a life to pursue Jesus and experience His love, His grace, transform you into a brand new person. Come on, and and what comes out of that, the grace of God, I have to stay right in that moment of saying, Jesus, I need you. The gospel is just as important to me right now today I've been a Christian for over 25 years. I got saved as a very small child, and I really did. I really gave my life to Jesus. And then when I was a teenager, I, I kind of recommitted my life. But let's just say from being a teenager when I was 15. So for 16, 17 years, I have walked with Jesus as a Christian. And let me just tell you right now that I still preach the gospel to myself because the same message of Jesus that was important to get in is the same message that's important to stay in and to grow and to go as a Christian. Come on, somebody. Preach the gospel to yourself. Keep going back to it. You don't graduate from the gospel. There is no Christianity 201, 301, 401. Oh, when you graduate, then you go to the fourth heaven and you fly around like an angel. That's baloney. That's what Paul's saying. You think that there's more to the story? There's not more to the story. The gospel that was enough to save you right at the start is the gospel that is enough to sustain you where you are now today. Come on. The gospel. Yeah, come on. Shout it out. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. The gospel that was enough to save you at the start is enough to sustain you through whatever you go through. You don't graduate from the gospel. We do not graduate from the gospel. It's an error that comes in that says there's more. Now you go, well, Pastor Jake, does that mean I shouldn't study the Bible and grow in my faith? No, there's there's more experience. But there's not a different message. Okay? It's not a different message. Number two, lessons from Galatians 1 and 2. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You know, adding something to the gospel only diminishes it. It's kind of like when my wife makes, we call it long sauce. She has the recipe. My grandpa's a full-blooded Sicilian, and he brought the recipe, and we have our family sauce. Feel good about it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And uh, my wife makes the sauce, and it's just perfect. And if somebody comes along and goes, I know what your sauce needs. It needs oregano. I'm going to cut that person's hand off. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I don't, you don't need to add anything. It's perfect how it is. When the recipe's right, get your hands away. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have like the family recipe, right? And when you make it that way, it's your spaghetti or it's your hamburger recipe or your steak seasoning. And when it's right, it's right. Don't touch it. Do not touch it. The gospel, Jesus is enough. Don't touch the message. Get your hands away from the pot. God knew what he was doing. When he gave his son, he gave enough. He paid for the sins of the entire world. It was more than enough. He did it. The work is accomplished. You can't add anything to it. Right? Jesus is enough. And Paul forcefully presented this, his position that justification, the positional righteousness, comes by the grace of God, by faith alone and in Christ alone. 
And by justification, Paul means both being declared guiltless before God and being granted status as a member of God's covenant community. One's salvation is in no way contingent on observing the law of Moses. Relying on observance of the law demonstrates that one lacks the necessary faith that Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. When we think that something else adding to the gospel, adding to Jesus makes it better, what we're really saying is that Jesus was inadequate, but he's not. Jesus is enough. He's all you need. When you receive Christ, you, you got it all. God gave you his best. Lastly, number three, freedom, the real freedom that we're talking about, being no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to the law. Freedom is in relationship, not religion. Now, you often hear the word religion used as this pejorative term, Oh, well, that's religion. And, and, you know, religion simply means a, a system or a, a way of observance. Uh, uh, and so we have a Christian religion. There are things we do. We worship. We gather together. We take communion. That is our religion. But what I mean here by religion is not those things that we do as a practice of our faith. What I mean is a trust in a system over the Savior. Religion, when it's a trust in the process or the system or the actions over the relationship, is missing the mark. And there's no freedom in religion. Religion says if I take step one and step two and step three and step four, then I get this result. That's not how it works in a relationship. A relationship is a living, breathing, dynamic, experiential reality. In my relationship with my wife, it's not just, well, okay, it's 9 a.m., so I say I love you. Click. Okay, it's 10 a.m., I wash the dishes. Maybe she'd like this system. But you know what? Eventually, it would be lifeless. Because she'd have my, my, my body, she'd have my actions, but she wouldn't have my heart. And God doesn't just want a robot. He wants a relationship. God doesn't want a... Christian with Christian Tourette's, Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, Jesus, and you just walk around and all, you know, he wants a relationship. He, 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 he created you for a relationship and he gave his son to redeem you and ransom you from sin so he could have a relationship. And freedom is in relationship, not religion, not this system that we, that we build. And Paul says this very poignantly in Galatians chapter 2, what we just read in verse 21. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion, which is keeping the rules to make other people see that I am, that would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that, he says. I refuse to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by keeping the rules, by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Paul says Jesus wouldn't have had to die if we could just earn our way to the Father. But the reality is that Jesus had to sacrifice himself. He had to die on the cross. He had to give himself as an offering because there was a tremendous gap and a gulf between our capacity and ability to get to God. It was always, always, ever only going to be God coming to us. If you come into Christianity and you think, this is my way to get to God, you're missing it. Christianity is the story about God making his way to you. And the Bible's full of this message in the story of the prodigal son. Jesus says the father was waiting and he ran to the son and he threw his arms around his neck. Repentance is a recognition of your need for God. You know, saying, God, I want to turn my life to you. But did you know that the hound of heaven was already pursuing you? 
that God was already moving at light speed and beyond to chase you down to pursue because his love is after you and God wants you and, and you can't get there on your own. You can't keep the rules. You can't be a good enough person. And Paul's going to say this over and over in this series, but here's what you need to understand. You have to give up and give it to Jesus and say, I give up trying. I'm going to put my faith and trust. I'm going to throw myself like I'm a drowning person because you are in sin. I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of God and trust in Jesus every day. Come on, we need the gospel. If you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, I pray that the gospel would be reignited in your heart today, that you would say, man, I need the grace of God right now today more than I ever have. Come on, we need to be saturated with the gospel. We need to have the gospel message be resonating on a daily basis outside of ourselves. There was a revival, as Charles Finney, he said, if I don't break down in tears before the mercy of God every week, then I think something's wrong and I'm beginning to, to walk away from God. We're not, we don't want to graduate in our knowledge and get so puffed up that now well, I'm a mature Christian and I don't need the gospel. Come on, maturity is found in connecting with the gospel, rooting yourself in that message and saying, I needed it today just as much as I ever have. Paul says you can't get to God on your own, but God has pursued you and that's the message of Jesus.